The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 376 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is methadone clinics and caring for persons with addictions. Addiction is increasingly considered a disability. Addiction occurs at any age, and it occurs from the use or abuse of illegal substances, addictive pain relief medications, and alcohol. And when it's in association with physical and mental disabilities, which occurs rather more often than I think we understood before. It's called a coexisting disability. That is the name that's given to addiction in those circumstances. Now, addiction to a substance is the disability of someone who experiences cravings for a substance or type of substance. Someone who's lost control over the use of the substance that's craved for and who feels compelled to use the substance that's craved for despite harmful consequences, even seriously harmful consequences. Addiction is a serious and often progressive disability which may be complicated by denial on the part of the person. It may require treatment if the addicted person is to quit, may complicate treatment for physical and mental disabilities. Addiction starts in young people. 70% of mental health or addiction problems start during childhood and adolescence. 20% of addiction problems start at age 15 or older. All of which is why our topic, methadone clinics and caring for persons with addictions, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss our topic, our guest is guest is Bill Brown. Now, Bill's uh, current focus is methadone maintenance treatment. He's a registered pharmacist and he holds the Bachelor of Science degree in pharmacy. As a senior business executive, his career included international business development services to Express Scripts, Inc., the third largest U.S. pharmacy benefits management company. Prior to that, he was president and CEO of Aetna Health Management Canada, Inc., which introduced managed care principles to large Canadian corporations. He was also, at the same time, president and CEO of First Canadian Health, which was created to manage the federal benefits program for the Canada's First Nations peoples, a unique relationship between the federal government, 
the Tribal Council's Investment Group of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and Etna Life. And then going back further, from 1990 to 1997, he was president and CEO of Columbia Healthcare, Inc., a company he founded and expanded into the largest provider of private rehabilitation services with 33 clinics across Canada. And prior to that, he was president and CEO of Medis Health and Pharmaceutical, Inc. So welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you, Gordon. Now, first question. Please tell us more about your life and your career. Bill? Well, you've done a very good job of describing it already. I can only uh, add, I guess, that uh, one thinks that one controls one's own destiny. And I think my career was more like a pinball machine. I uh, started as a pharmacist. Uh, Not quite clear what that meant uh, that I was going to do. Practiced for a few years and found myself more drawn to management, uh, and I was given the opportunity to uh, to enter that sphere, and uh, became a vice president of a chain of drugstores, and eventually got a business degree, and found that my niche really was managing organizations and and, and analyzing business principles to improve them, and uh, and working with people towards a common strategic goal. So all the things you described, yes. I did, which maybe is more indicative that I couldn't hold a job, but largely, (laughs) (laughs) largely, most of those companies uh, I sold or became uh, merged into other organizations, and that's really kind of more indicative of of what happens in life today, that uh, one doesn't really stay in one job all their lives because things change so quickly. They, They merge. They go, you know, things develop, and that's exactly what happened in my career. Uh, generally speaking, I've always been in healthcare. Uh, I like the uh, economics of healthcare, uh, and uh, and um, the whole the whole the whole uh, principle of trying to deliver healthcare in a more efficient, uh, cost-efficient, better way. Because as we all know, we're 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 all approaching uh, a pretty deadly situation with uh, with demographics and so forth, and healthcare eating up uh, more and more of our government's resources, and it, and and it can't continue. So there are so many ways that it can be improved, and I'm drawn to those areas, and uh, hopefully will uh, will help in some fashion and in some small fashion in, into uh, contributing to that solution. Great. Now. Please tell us what methadone is and how it's used to help individuals, people with addictions. What what is methadone, Bill? Okay, I don't I don't want to give a chemistry lesson here, <laughs> so I'll I'll describe it really. Methadone really belongs to the opioid family of drugs, and we all know what opioids are. They're all things that comes from poppies. It's used most commonly now to treat addictions to other opioid drugs, so more commonly known as heroin, oxycodone, which is, you know, you hear, read about that in the paper all the time, oxycontin, uh, hydromorphone, like Dilaudid's, all those opioids, codeines, that, um, that originally come from, uh, from the opioid families. Uh, in itself, uh, methadone actually is a synthetic opioid which means that it doesn't appear in nature like all the others that I talked about. Uh, it, uh, it is made in a, in, a, in a lab. It's manufactured. It was actually developed in Germany uh, during the Second World War, and it was used on the battleground for, for pain relief because it's a very powerful analgesic. If you look at a molecule of methadone, it, it looks an awful lot like heroin. 
so it's uh, it's very very similar. And it doesn't have the uh, same euphoric effect that heroin does. So to distinguish it from methadone maintenance treatment, which is a, uh, a, a clinical activity, if you wish, it prevents uh, opioid withdrawal and it reduces or eliminates the drug cravings that come with uh, trying to get off these opioids. When you're addicted to these drugs like heroin and so forth, you stop taking them you go through a living hell. And so the methadone uh, replaces that, uh, it actually at the cell level, and, uh, and, and prevents those cravings from occurring. Uh, that, it was discovered really that methadone you know, played a part in that in the 1960s, but not much happened for about 30 years. Then around 1990, the need to reduce the harm of drug use was more clearly recognized. And uh, changes were made in uh, clinical protocols of sorts to make it easier for doctors to prescribe methadone and to develop uh, methadone clinics. So methadone clinics are all about harm reduction. And I can get into what harm reduction means, but that's, uh, that may be the question to another, that may be the answer to another question for later. Okay. But still, I want to ask you now, what you actually do, what's your work with methadone clinics? How are you involved? Okay, well, Methadone Clinic is a, is a building, or it's a clinic. You know, it's about 2,000 square feet, and it's occupied by physicians. And the, the absolute minimum is physicians and pharmacists and technicians, lab technicians and pharmacy technicians. And basically, um, patients enter the clinic. They could be referred by physicians. Often they are. And what happens is people have a general practitioner, and the general practitioner at some point in time comes to the realization that his patient has got a real big problem, and it's called drug addiction. In the same way as he would have any other problem that he would refer him to a specialist, uh, he would, uh, the general practitioner would refer his patient with a drug addiction to a methadone clinic. But the patients can just walk in off the street, too. They don't have to be referred. Um, they can also be referred by social agencies and so forth. But anyhow, the patient enters, and uh, you know uh, they, they fill out a lot of information about themselves. A lot of it is very personal about you know what kind of drugs they're on and their, their lifestyle and all that sort of thing. Eventually, they're um, they're seen by a physician. They're given a uh, an examination and so forth. And uh, they are then prescribed uh, methadone, and the methadone is uh, is it starts off in very small quantities and builds up as the body tolerates it. Um, and uh, the, the mechanics of it is they are prescribed a certain dose. Uh, the dose is prepared by the pharmacy team and the technicians. Uh, it is very, these are very small quantities. We're talking like 30 milligrams, you know, not visible to the human eye. And, uh, and they're, they're uh, mixed with a drink like orange juice. And the patient takes that, uh, that dose of methadone on a daily basis. And when they do, uh, methadone is called an agonist. So it, it basically mimics the effects of heroin. Um, the patient uh, has less craving for the opioid that he's addicted to, let's say heroin. And um, 
in most cases, uh, certainly in the early stages of the treatment plan, the patient has to come to that clinic every day, every single day, 365 days a year, at the same time of day to get that dose. They can't be given two doses because by their addictive nature, they would probably take both of them at once, and in many cases, they would, it would be a lethal dose. Uh, the side effect of uh, the major, not side effect, but the major downside of all of these drugs, including methadone, is they cause respiratory arrest. And so the person just you know, goes into respiratory failure. So, uh, and, and the tolerance is very, very small. So, so what, what, uh, what is a perfectly good dose for one person who's built a tolerance, let's say, to 100 milligrams would be absolutely lethal to another person. Right. Uh, so getting the dose right is obviously important, and there's a titrating kind of process that takes place. So, right. I mean, Bill, I'm going way, to just... That's what it looks like. Okay, very helpful. Bill, I'm going to stop you there because of a tyranny in our life, which is the tyranny of time, okay. um, because we've reached the point where we have to take a short break. So we're sure. going to do that now, uh, but we're coming back. Okay, this great. is Dr. This is Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guest is Bill Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Brown. Our topic is methadone clinics and caring for persons with addictions. Now, Bill, let's talk about the challenges encountered by individuals and addictions. Okay. Uh, You know, who have addictions, I perhaps should have said. Sure. Now, which of the many challenges that addictions create for individuals do you see as the most challenging for them? Bill? Uh, Sure. Well, you know, in, in this process of addiction, but really in many aspects of life, we go through stages, and they're often referred to by different names, but they're roughly denial, acceptance, or or denial, anger, usually acceptance, planning, and execution. And those are pretty pretty straightforward um, uh, states that a a person who's uh, addicted to drugs will go through. So the most important one, or the one that's the biggest challenge, is denial. And, you know, if you think about the analogy of alcohol, which is very, very similar, uh, we go through that, uh, or individuals go through that. They just deny that they're drinking too much. They, uh, you know, they maybe go through stages of uh, drinking heavily, moderate, heavily, da-da-da, functional alcoholism or whatever. And, and it's very similar with drugs. So there's a long period of denial as the person gets worse and worse and, you know, deteriorates. And the deterioration would be in, in the family, in economics, the job, the whole boy. But at a certain point in time where the denial stops and uh, acceptance is, uh, is, is, is realized, and then, you know, we go from there. So the biggest challenge is denial. So getting the person to accept the fact that they got a problem, and it could be the physician has to get them to understand that. It could be a family member. Or it could be just the person finally realizing that they've hit rock bottom, they've lost everything, and they've got to do something about getting their lives turned around. So denial is the answer to your question. Right. Good. Now, well, good in the sense of a good, clear answer, but a challenge uh, of a very serious kind that you've described, Bill. Now, next question to you is, which of the many challenges that addictions create for individuals? do you see as the most challenging for the care that healthcare services provide? And I'm talking about physicians and I'm talking about hospitals and I'm talking about emergency rooms, all those kinds of places where people go to for help in a crisis. What are the challenges that addictions create for those places? Bill? Well, part of the, part of the problem with this whole area of drug addiction is um, – and, and this is what distinguishes it a bit from alcoholism, I guess, is that people know uh, a lot of people who are alcoholics, and somehow we seem to accept that as part of society, recovering alcoholics and so forth. It doesn't have the same pejorative as to describe someone as a drug addict. Uh, a drug addict carries all kinds of uh, moral uh, weight to it. It's a pejorative. And to be labeled a drug addict, you know, coincident with that is loss of self-respect, self-worth, and so forth. 
And actually, all of those things become self-fulfilling prophecies, really, because as a person thinks their value is, you know, near zero, they tend to augment their behavior to prove it. So the challenges are to develop uh, a, a, a protocol and to have people working within that protocol that understand this principle and are absolutely non-judgmental. Uh, and use language that is non-judgmental, and it's very, you know, part of the problem within the, within the um, community itself of the people who treat these patients. You know, for example, I'll pick I'll pick a, uh, they, there's the word dirty and clean, and uh, if the person uh, they have to have routine urine tests, and if there's a trace of illicit drugs in their urine, it's spotted, and then of course that has to be dealt with. But that person is called dirty, and if they don't have the uh, the uh, trace, then they're called clean. Well, these words in themselves are powerful, and so getting that language out, preparing, you know, creating the right understanding, appreciating that this is a disease like any other that has an algorithm that can be applied and be treated with a with a with a defined goal is very important. And it's a challenge for even the people that work with it. You know, uh, many of these people, of course, are addicted to street drugs, but a very large percentage of surprise people to realize it could be as, as large as 30% are individuals who had no, no, um, no association with street drugs at all. They became addicted to pain medication that was prescribed by their friendly general practitioner who uh, just kept increasing their doses of Percocet and Vercodans and all these other drugs uh, just to, uh, to uh, have the patient uh, relieved of chronic pain and, uh, and only to discover that they've now created another disease called drug addiction. Now, I'm going to ask you just to clarify something. You've mentioned alcoholism, alcoholics, um, several times. Do methadone clinics uh, treat alcoholics, alcoholism? Never. Right. Good, it's thank completely you. Different, completely different. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you, it's the same basic question, um, you know, which of the many challenges that addictions create for individuals do, do you see as the most challenging? This time, for the methadone clinics themselves, what are the things that really challenge methadone clinics? Bill? Well, you know, the, the, these, are, these are settings. They're often, you know, um, occupied by doc, obviously doctors and pharmacists. Or many of them are, are women. Uh, you know, some of the challenges involved that these patients can be in a very high state of emotion. They're, um, you know, sometimes there's, um, there's violence involved. You know, they don't get the drinks because their, their urine is, is testing negative. Or they they want their dose increased because they're they're getting uh, some withdrawal symptoms. So to continually you know maintain a, a position of patience and non-judgmental and and creating the right environment, which is healing and you know conducive to harm reduction, is an ongoing challenge because you're dealing with people who are not exactly happy. Uh, they're not you know their state of hygiene can be atrocious. Um, you know that sort of thing. They're 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 people who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, 
and uh, it is very difficult sometimes to uh, maintain that degree of profi- professionality and, and, and the need to treat them, you know, in a, in a, in a healing uh, approach. It's, um, it's, it's an ongoing challenge to do that. And, and, and very often many of these clinics fail at it, frankly. Now, I want to just follow up on something else that you mentioned, and that is when I was asking you about the challenges for healthcare services, uh, you named physicians, I'm mm. a retired one, as you know, mm. and you made the point that so many of the addictions are to the pain-relieving medications that doctors, particularly family doctors, prescribed. prescribe. Please say more about that and say what you think, as, an, as, as a professional, should be done about that problem, because it sounds very frightening to me. Bill? Yeah. Well, the, the problem is that when people suffer from, quote, chronic pain, unquote, that, that, that is not an actual, it's not an actual specific, you know, morbidity. It's just pain. And it's it's chronic and it's it debilitates a person, but it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't lend itself to a quick solution like surgery or or or, or some other something can be treated with an antibiotic and it disappears. So it's easy to fall into the trap of prescribing these medications, which do a very good job actually at relieving the chronic pain. And so it's very very easy to fall into that trap. And, of course, part of the problem with these drugs is that they work, but in order to create that same effect, you have to keep increasing the dose. So that's why, that's why they're addictive. They're addictive because to produce the same effect, you have to keep increasing the dose. If you do not increase the dose, the effect itself becomes less, less and lessened. So it's a, it's a, it's a cycle that's, that, that's easy to fall into. And uh, by the time it's realized that this person has now got a new disease called drug addiction, it's way too late. The doses of drugs that they're on are astronomical. And these drugs are really cheap uh, for, 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 to, to get them from the pharmacy. It's very cheap. But if you go out to try to get them on the street, they're thousands and dollars more. So when, you know, if they're cut off from those drugs, they still need them. They have to go to the street to buy them. They're, uh, they're talk, you know, you're talking about a $500 a day habit minimum, and that's where the problem is. So, you know, some of the approaches have to be that to deal with chronic pain um, doesn't necessarily mean the easy route of just giving a few pills. There are other ways of treating chronic pain, whether 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 it's uh, uh, physiotherapy, cognitive therapy, behavior therapy, a lot of other things that have to be tried first, or in in addition to, uh, do not fall into the easy uh, route of uh, using drugs as a crutch, because you will pay the piper, and and that's what we see every day. And in Ontario today, it's estimated there are a minimum of thirty to forty thousand individuals. Who, uh, who can be described as, 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 as opioid, opioid dependent, which is a nicer way of saying drug addict, opioid dependent. Right. Now, just to come back to you with the point, also, uh, one of the consequences of what you've been describing is um, an alarming amount of death resulting from 
perhaps overdose or perhaps some of the other things that are associated with what you were describing. That is going out onto the street to get what you need and these kinds of things. So am I summarizing you right? You're thinking right to say, in fact, this prescribing of opioids as pain relieving medications is a very serious challenge for particularly doctors because they're the ones that have the if you like, the legal right to prescribe. Have, have I summarized you well enough in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, 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 you know, the, I wouldn't say the majority, but a very large percentage is legal, the legal use of these drugs that, uh, that, that uh, are overused. I mean, there are instances, you know, where teenagers steal their parents' drugs or their grandparents' drugs, and they, you know, they have access to these drugs that way, but there that that isn't a huge percentage yeah. of the uh, of the problem. I mean, it has to be dealt with in a different way. And there are you know there are a lot of people who get into drugs just because you know they're they're peer pressure. Sure. They're in a, they live under low socioeconomic uh, standards, which. For example, to give you... Bill, I'm going to have to... Sorry about this, but it's the tyranny of the time. And I'm going to have to take... No, 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 no worries. Um, I'm going to take the break now, but we're coming back and we're going to talk about more about the things that you've just been talking about where I so rudely interrupted. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Azalea. My guest is Bill Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. It's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. 
Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Brown. Our topic is methadone clinics and caring for persons with addictions. Bill, now let's talk about the ways in which methadone clinics are addressing the challenges you've identified, the things that you've pointed out to us that you see as the most challenging of the challenges. So first off, how do methadone clinics address the challenges you've identified for individuals with addictions? Bill? Well, first of all, you know, sort of on a, on a mechanical basis, I guess, is uh, these clinics are designed to treat this one ailment. So uh, they're structured that way. They're all there. They, could, they, they provide a safe environment, uh, an inviting environment, hopefully a warm environment. The staff who work there are specifically qualified to deal with this particular issue. Uh, the physicians themselves have to go through a education and pre-qualification process. So do the pharmacists. Everybody is tuned in to this one ailment. Um, and uh, as well, uh, they're designed to uh, absolutely protect the person's privacy um, and, and, and safety. Uh, these are extremely powerful drugs we're talking about that in very small quantities are absolutely lethal. So the preparation of these, these um, medications has to be precise and checked three times before they're administered. Um, there's a high degree of trust that the patient puts as he reaches over and drinks this glass of orange juice, uh, knowing full well that, it, you know, it could kill him if it was not properly prepared. So privacy, safety, the, the, the aspects of non-judgment that I talked about, patients understanding, um, this is what this is what good clinics do. I'm, 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 I, I want to I want to say that not all of them perform at this high level, uh, and uh, and that's and that's and that's a problem in itself. But uh, the good ones do exactly what I've just described. Just to summarize you quickly, this is a thoroughly professional environment that's designed to cope with the difficulties, the challenges that you've identified and that are really very real. Is that right? Yes, it's highly specific. It deals with one kind of addiction, opioids, 
And that's it. It doesn't do it. Doesn't deal with anything else. And right. and remember, the product is harm reduction. It isn't even classical medicine. In other words, we're uh, we're not looking to take the person off drugs. That may be that may be one consequence of methadone maintenance treatment is that the person will stop taking drugs and will stop taking methadone and be completely recovered. But that number that do that are probably 15%. So 85% are locked into this therapy for life. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you, it's the same basic question. How do methadone clinics address the challenges you identified before for the care that healthcare services provide for individuals with addictions? And I'm just going to reflect back to you the question of physicians prescribing the opioids, these addictive medications, the way you so well described how you got to take more and more to achieve the pain relief. That's a problem. How do methadone clinics address that challenge and any other challenges that you think healthcare services should should be receiving help for or be better aware of? Bill? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because really the clinics are, I understand your question now, you see the clinics are reaction. We're dealing with the problem after it occurs. So um, can, we, can we deal with the problem before it uh, occurs? That's not what they're designed to do. There are many ways that that is being addressed. You know, physicians now, certainly in Ontario, uh, when uh, we have what they call a drug monitoring, narcotic monitoring system. So there is a central place where all of the all of the narcotics that are prescribed, all of that information goes to a certain place. And if a physician begins to pass certain parameters in terms of his prescribing habits, um, he's he, he's talked to. You know, it is inter- it is inter- they're trying to deal with the problem at its source, uh, in, in terms of physicians at least. Yeah, clinics are largely dealing with with uh, with uh, with the reaction. You know, it's it's the consequence of this. It's it's um, the challenge is there, and I, I'm I'm not sure I'm answering your question perfectly well, but I can tell you that right now we're like firefighters in a forest. You know what I mean? We're trying yes. to put out all these fires. The the, the 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 fires raging all around us. We don't have a heck of a lot of time to think about how this how this happened or how we could prevent it. It's it's a, it's a huge huge challenge just to meet the need right now. Now meeting the need is this right? Maybe a lifelong um, need for on the part of an individual for the work of the methadone clinic. Is that totally, right? Bill? Totally, totally. It's 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 almost analogous to uh, diabetes. If you're a diabetic and you're at a, at a stage where you're taking insulin. You know that you're going to be on that insulin till the day you die, and that's part of your life is taking insulin. And in many, many cases, many cases, I know many patients uh, who've been on methadone for 15 years, and uh, they're quite happy. They take their methadone and they live very normal lives. You wouldn't know them. They're accountants, uh, truck drivers, you know, nurses. A lot of medical professionals, by the way, become you know opioid dependent. So it'd be quite surprising to many people to realize that uh, that uh, physicians, dentists, nurses, you know, and anyways, so they they're they're on methadone and they reach a certain level and they're quite capable of just uh, going back to leading normal lives as as parents and 
spouses and their occupation and everything else. That's that's what we're talking about, harm reduction. Just getting a person to go back to living a normal life, well, you've reduced a lot of harm. Right. Now, the next one is about the methadone clinics addressing the challenges. And here I'm, again, in a way, picking you up on one or two of the things you've said before, not in a negative way, but to get you to talk more. What you're saying, in effect, as I understood it, Bill, is that the good, conscientious, professional methadone clinics pro- provide this lifelong treatment so that people can return to normal lives. They can cope. It's a kind of recovery. It's not a cure, but it's a recovery. Now, what about the clinics that aren't quite up to the mark in your view? Um, How are those kinds of challenges being identified or how do you think they should be identified and dealt with? Bill? Well, you know, one of the consequences of recognizing Opioid dependency is a big social pro- problem, and you know you got to you got to think about prisons, for example, and 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 the kind of inmates that are in prisons, the the number of uh, people who are in prison who are there as a consequence of some element of being involved with illicit drug use is huge in comparison to the normal population. So it costs a lot of money to society. The thing is that. When when it was recognized, uh, a lot of clinics started opening very quickly, and you know the the, the practice, that both from a medical perspective and from a pharmacy perspective, can be very lucrative if you are treating high numbers of patients. The funding is there. The government has recognized that it's much cheaper to support a program that like this than to build more prisons. And, uh, and that sort of thing, uh, and so consequently, uh, they're funding it. And in some cases, the quality of service in uh, in these methadone clinics is not at the standard that I've talked about. And uh, how do you deal with that? Well, if anybody knew me personally, they would know that government intervention is the last thing I usually I usually suggest. But perhaps a degree of tighter oversight by the ministries of health would probably be a good idea. By the way, this is a worldwide pro- problem. Uh, this whole methadone thing, you can, you know, you Google it, you'll find that in the UK, it's an extensive program, Australia, uh, not so much in third world countries, but uh, but certainly United States, uh, huge, huge, huge industry and huge, uh, huge problem. So it's, it's worldwide. So I think the quality standard is an important thing. And I think, um, I think it even comes down to Physicians, especially physicians, are really pivotal in all this. Uh, the, the physicians that are tre- are doing methadone treatment, they, you know, they can write the exams and pass all of the qualifications to do this. But I think more uh, emphasis has to be on the attitude. Why are they doing it? Why are they getting into methadone? Are they doing it because, uh, you know, it's an easy way to um, to make a lot more money? Or is it because they really care about this problem and want to treat these people and want to and want to um, you know have an impact on society? And I think that that whole aspect could be better managed. Right. Now I'm just going to summarize back to you something that I've learned from this show and elsewhere um, that's associated with serious mental illnesses that aren't curable. There's no running for the cure because there's no cure. 
there's no medication that doctors can prescribe that's going to cure some of these serious illnesses. So what's become apparent is that despite all of that problem, something called recovery is possible. That is to say, where the individual is not cured, but is enabled through various kinds of support to focus on their abilities rather than their disabilities and lead a life that's as normal as possible, perhaps totally normal, and be themselves. And I'm making a comparison with that, with what you said, because it sounds to me like the methadone clinics, the good ones that you've been describing, Bill, are ex in exactly that business of recovery, but not cure. Just in a very quick word, am I right in summarizing it back to you that way? It's, that's a very good, uh, very good description. Absolutely correct. Right. Okay. On that point, once again, the tyranny of time, we're going to take the the break now. This is where I always say we have to pay the rent, so this is the time we do it. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Bill Brown. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Brown. Our topic is methadone clinics and caring for persons with addictions. Bill, now let's talk about what more you would like to do through your work with methadone clinics and to see done by others to promote more and better support for individuals with addictions. Now, first question, you, what more would you like to do through your work to promote more and better support? Bill? Well, I think specifically we, you know, in our clinic and in my day-to-day activities with my associates, what we strive to do is to keep the fundamentals that I've talked about firmly in place and to apply them consistently on a day-to-day basis. Um, Having said that, we see that, you know, in many cases, these people have the need for other types of support, which, which, if brought in at the proper time, would result in much better success rates. So I'm talking about you know really basic stuff like housing, for example. They have no housing, or nutrition, or childcare, and all those other kinds of things that are so vital to having a person uh, play a, uh, an important role in society and so forth. We can't address those things because those are not our job specifically in the clinic. But if those those um, services could be brought in. Uh, in other words, we're more players in the circle of care, and I don't know, that's probably partially funding, and part of it is attitude. You know, we, we often find some of these social services, uh, uh, the, some of the worst negativity and judgmentalism occurs in these social services. They have not been trained to understand that these people have a serious illness and, um, and, and, and that they need assistance. They're often, you know, considered lazy or, or, or mentally, um, you know, deficient or whatever. We don't get the support in the community that's necessary, I think, to, uh, to improve our success rate. Right. Now, let's go straight into the next question, then. What more would you, you like to see done, and by whom would you like it to be done to promote more and better support? And if you want to talk about prevention, which you'd mentioned before, um, you know, more effort perhaps in preventing um, addictions and their problems. Um, would you mention that, Bill? Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's some basic things. For example, for one thing, certainly physicians, you know, in medical school need to spend far more time understanding the implications of their prescribing habits. I mean, it's not only drug addiction. Certainly, we read all the time about the overuse of antibiotics or whatever. But certainly, I sometimes don't think they appreciate how powerful these drugs are and how quickly their patients can get into real, real trouble. So education of physicians is important. Uh, Certainly, things like the narcotic monitoring system that will catch um, there was a fantastic article in the New Yorker about three months ago. One physician in the state of Indiana, uh, through his prescribing habit, created 5,000 opiate-dependent addicts in his lifetime. So it doesn't take many, character, you know, many bad characters to create a huge number of problems. Um, and as I say, more resources. I think, I think this methadone maintenance treatment clinics are good, but they're a bit of a Band-Aid. Um, they're, 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 they're effective, 
and they do, they're successful in, in creating harm reduction, but a lot, a little bit more resources by other people could, uh, could, could create much better, much better results. Right. Now, my question for you now, and it's the final one. What's your message for family caregivers, from people who uh, are, have members of families who have just recognized, that is the family caregivers have just recognized that their loved ones are likely living with serious addictions. Yeah, What's your is, message for them? This is such an important point. This is probably the most important point because family members usually see the problem long before the person themselves see it. And the you know, behavior, the student doesn't go to school, uh, you know, daily chores don't get done, all, all the usual signs that a person has an addiction problem. And, and it's easy to think about those things when you think about alcohol, um, but they're exactly the same with drugs, although more powerful, really. So the first thing that the caregivers have to do is to provide understanding and support and not judgmental. If they, if they attack the individual and start saying things, you're, you're, you're useless, you're going downhill, and so forth, it really just drives that person to, uh, to continue in that behavior or make it even worse. So it, caregivers have to understand this is a disease. These people are in trouble. They need support. They need understanding. They have to be non-judgmental. They have to try to help that person find the resources that they need, be it methadone clinics or doctors or, or all the other aspects of help that are available out there. And the other thing that the caregivers have to understand is this is a process and not an event. There's not likely, highly unlikely, that a person who has this, has this issue in their lives is going to be cured and they're going to go back to being normal, perfectly happy people and so forth. It ain't going to happen. This is a process. Likely the person will get better. They'll probably have recidivism. They'll fall down, and they're going to go up and down. It's a process that's going to go on for a long time. Hopefully, through treatment, they'll reach a stable state, and they will you know, re-enter society and be, become productive and so forth. But the road to get there is a bumpy one. And so a lot of patience and understanding is, and support is required by the caregiver. Very clear. And what the aim is, is recovery in the way that you and I agreed was the process that fundamentally, it's not cure, it's recovery. Exactly. Now, I want, I want to say thank you, Bill, for being so open with us and conveying to us so very clearly what the methadone clinics do and what else is needed and the ways in which this very serious problem that you've pointed out should be dealt with. I want to say thank you to our listeners. And I want to also say to our listeners that with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called E-Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to. And if you'd like to be a guest on my show, here's how to connect with me. Please email me at docg, that's D-O-C-G, all lowercase, at Family Caregivers Unite or one word, dot org, docg at familycaregiversunite.org, and I'll be delighted to hear from you. Now, our next episode will be Protecting Privacy of Patients, Patients Canada Perspectives. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.
Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.